All right, we, uh, I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys are here today. Um, we are going to get right into our sermon. Actually, right before we do, I, I want to acknowledge a couple of people, um, or just to acknowledge a, gr- a group of people. Um, first of all, today is Veterans Day, and, um, and this is a time that we get to thank everyone that served in some capacity for us to be able to do things like be here, that do things like go to church. We don't want to take that for granted, that we are coming to church in a free, in, in, with the freedom to be able to do this because of the sacrifice that you've made, because you served, because you are serving. My dad was, was in the army during Vietnam, and, and, uh, and, and I was born in Sharp Army Depot and, and with my twin brother and my older brother, and, and, uh, and, and, and this is a day to honor those people that said, man, I'm going to stand up so that you can have your freedom. And so we want to thank you. So is our, do we have any veterans in the room today that we, can, that we can thank? We've got some veterans in the room that we can thank. All right. Thank you. All right, there's another group of people that I want to acknowledge as well. Um, the midterm elections uh, were, were on Tuesday. We all know that. Many of us were, were watching the television for hours and hours, to, um, to watching to see what was going to happen. And look, while I was watching, I was inspired. Now, now listen, you guys are about to go, oh, wait, now, is he, is he Democrat or Republican? I, I, this is not a Democrat or Republican statement. This is, not a, this is not a Democrat, Republic, or Independent statement. The, here's the statement that I want to make that I was inspired by, by t- on Tuesday. You guys, as I'm watching all the results happening, all the stuff happening, I just kept noticing how many pictures of women were, were, go, were going across the screen. I looked back and I said, and it said 237 women were on the ballot for Congress or Senate seats, 237. Wait, 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 wait. We're going to hold on that for just a second. 110 women won seats in, the Cong- in Congress or in the Senate. The youngest woman ever was elected to Congress. The first two Native American women were elected to Congress. The first African American woman was elected the Attorney General of New York. The first two Latino congressmen were elected out of the state of Texas. You guys, it is about time that women get to take their rightful place in leadership in this country. And it is so fun to see that happen. And that is not a Republican statement, and that is not a Democratic statement. That is a statement for women that deserve to be in positions of leadership because they're gifted to do so. I, I, I hope and I, my prayer is that the church follows suit in that, that then the church will see that as well. I love it that we see that here at Ascent. I love it that here at Ascent we get to have, we have female pastors, we have, we have women that are, in, that, are, that are right there on our leadership team that are making the decisions for what's, what's happening in the life of our church. We love that and we want to continue to raise up women because they deserve to be raised up because they're skilled as leaders. So I just got to tell you, I was inspired by that. Now, now we can clap for what's, hap- what's happened, Okay. <laughs> All right, I don't want no emails saying stay out of politics. I don't want no emails on that, so send those to Jim, okay? Um, 
All right, we are going to continue in our series right here, Recharge, okay? This is a series that we started a couple of weeks ago because we, we basically talked about the fact that we each have this, this thing in our pockets that when it goes down to 20% or so and the red bars start to show up, we start to panic because we cannot picture life without this, this thing. We cannot picture a day without this. We can't picture an hour without this, so we need to charge it back up. But what we talked about is how often are we allowing ourselves to just drain? How, lo- how often are we allowing ourselves to, to go down to 20%? How often are we living at 20% and just saying, you know, I probably should recharge, but you don't. If we ask the question, can you live a day without the power source to recharge, can you, do you say yes? I think most of us say yes, I can. I can live a week. I can live a month. Sometimes we live years without ever recharging. And so we want to talk, we want to talk, we want to spend some time over a month talking about what's it look like and why do we need to recharge If we look at it like a pilot light, is that pilot light burning strong? Or is that pilot light losing a little little of its light? Are are, the oxygen, are the walls kind of squeezing in enough that the oxygen is running out and the pilot light is running out? Is your pilot light just flickering? Is it burned out? And that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to talk about over this month. Jim did a great job last week because we're grounding this in this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Philippi. And, and in that, man, he gives them so much encouragement, so much encouragement around this God is so good and we want you to recharge your batteries in this. And, and Paul talks at first in chapter one, he's talking to these people that had people pressing in on all sides, telling them, you don't have to believe in what Paul told you to believe in. You don't have to believe this. And they started saying all different, there's all kinds of different power sources that you could go to. And, and, and Paul is saying, man, you've got to recharge your mind to be able to do this. So Jim talked about recharging our minds last week. This week, what we want to do is we want to spend some more time just talking about the circumstances in our life that continue to crowd in, that continue to put pressure on, that continue to press in on us, that continue to take the oxygen away. We want to talk about those things and what happens when the the most important thing, that light that is within us, when it starts to go out. What do we do about that? Paul actually addresses that a little bit in chapter 2. And so we're going to spend some time in chapter 2 today reading from, from this, this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Philippi. Here's what he says. He says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. Now, this is a super important part we've got to grab onto for today, okay? Here's what he says. He says, he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. I think that's really important because for many of us, we'll just go, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm going, I'm in a Bible study or I'm serving in a certain area or I've prayed or I've given a lot to the church or whatever. And I just say, come on, God, throw me a bone. 
You're in the middle of circumstances where the walls are, 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 are closing in. You're going, I, I would like a, a little bit of special circumstances. Or I would like a little bit of, 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 of special, uh, special privileges to, to keep those walls from closing in all the way. But Jesus says he didn't claim special privileges, even though he could have. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. See, the walls were closing in around family, but he didn't claim any special privileges. The walls were closing in around his community. I mean, he even said, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. So, so he's, he's going, man, these people don't even, don't even, they don't even recognize who I am. I've got no honor here. I'm just the, I'm just the son of a carpenter. The walls were closing in around him physically, but he didn't claim any special privileges. He knew that he was going to have to go all the way to the cross. The walls were closing in around him emotionally. You see him, you see him tear up over a good friend that dies. You see him tear up over a city that's just not getting it. The walls are closing in emotionally around him. And he didn't claim any special privileges to any of that stuff. He said, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient in my life. And I'll be obedient all the way to my death. And then Paul says this. He says, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago, dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. See, the privilege would come. But on this earth, the pressing will still happen. What I'm getting at, friends, is what Paul says. He says, I know you're not quite getting what I'm saying to you. He says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. He says, when I first came to you, man, you got fired up. That light was shining bright. You got fired up. You were ready to go through a wall for me. Man, that's, that's the way I remember in those early years as a, as a, as a Christian in, in, when I was at in the University of Washington and Danny Ryberg would stand before us and he'd preach to us and, and I'm sitting there in the, in, the, in the crowd as a college student and I'm, I'm just going, man, I'm ready to go anywhere. I'm ready to do anything. The light was burning like crazy. I was ready to be obedient. That's why, that's why I went to the, the projects in inner city Philly. It's why Jackie and I ended up moving into the inner city in Seattle. It's, man, it's like, we'll do whatever. But he says this, he says, but now that I'm separated from you, now that things might start settling in, now that circumstances might start winning, now that walls might start closing in, now that you're going to start feeling it in lots of different places in your life, now that you're going to start feeling it financially and in your job and in your home and in your, as a parent, now that you're starting to feel all that, he says, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. He just talked about the pilot light. He's going, that is God's energy deep within us. And it's powerful. And we can't live with it just flickering. You can't can't settle for 20%. 
We can't, we can't go, well, the pilot light's out, but I'll just still figure this out. No, no, come on. This is God's energy. It's an energy deep within us. We sing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But I don't think Jesus ever wanted it to be just this little light of mine, this little pilot light that sometime might be shown. He's going, man, this is powerful. God's presence is powerful within each one of us. It's powerful. His, his energy is an energy deep within. It's God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. It says, carry that light-giving message into the night so I'll have a good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. He says, even if I'm executed here and now, remember, he's in a prison in Rome. And he's writing to these people in Philippi. And the walls have closed in on Paul to the point that he's in prison. And he says, even if I'm executed here now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar a part of your rejoicing. And how in the world would he even say, I'll rejoice in the midst of the walls that are closing in around him? How in the world would he say, I rejoice? I want to spend some more time on this. I want to spend some more time with those of you that feel like there's an area of your life that is closing in. I want to spend some more time for those of you that feel like the oxygen is just not as much there. For those of you that, 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 that would say, yeah, it's not burning bright. It's burning or it's barely burning or the pilot light's almost out. I want to spend some more time talking through this. How do we get to the point where Paul could say, even if I'm executed, I'll rejoice. How do we get there? to talk about the walls closing in. Now, for me personally, this, this thought in my head of the walls closing in has been there since I was a little kid. I, I, I used to have these reoccurring dreams when I was a little kid. In fact, I think a lot of us have reoccurring dreams. I ask them, my family, how many, you know, have you guys had any reoccurring dreams? And they're all random reoccurring dreams that they'd have. Sometimes they turned into nightmares. Sometimes there's ones that woke you up. Sometimes you're going, you wake up and you're going, why do I keep having that dream? Well, when I, through all of my grade school, middle school, high school years, I had two reoccurring dreams. One one of them has nothing to do with what I'm talking about here. I kept having this dream that I'm sitting in the dugout of, in, a, in a baseball game's about to start and I could not find my pants. And so I'm sitting there in my underwear in the dugout. And so the time comes where everyone runs out on the field and I'm still sitting there in my underwear going, what do I do now? For some reason that I kept having that dream. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. The other reoccurring dream that I'd have was one where me and my brothers were down at my grandma Crusoe's house. I had this dream over and over again. Me and my brothers are down at my grandma Crusoe's house. We are, we are out in the field behind her house. She had this huge field. And at the end of the field was a rock hill that led down to the Spokane River. I would have this dream that I'd run down to the end of the field where the rock hill is at and I'd fall before the rest of my, my brothers and my cousins got there. I'd fall. I'd fall down this hill, but I didn't fall into the Spokane River. I fell in into a trash compactor. And the walls just kept closing in around this trash compactor until I'd wake up. And I wondered, why do I, why do I have that dream? Why is that in my head? And I think back, and I think it's because when I was eight years old, I stood in line with my parents to watch a movie that had a scene in it of walls crashing in. It was this scene. One thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. Get on top of it! I'm trying! 
goodness, they haven't found them. Where could they be? Use the comm link. Oh, my. I forgot. I turned it off. Are you there, sir? Three me out! We've had some problems. Will you shut up and listen to me? Shut down all the garbage smashers on the detention level, will you? Do you copy? Shut down all the garbage smashers on the detention level! I'm telling you, I know it's just weird. By the way, that was Star Wars for some of you guys that don't know that. Um, you know, I don't know why that one stayed with me more than Willy Wonka going through the weird tunnel. I mean, that, then it, that should have stayed with me more, but this one did. And, and, and so I'd have those dreams of the, of, the, of the walls closing in around me. Now, I'd love to say that today all is better, but it's not. I don't have that dream anymore of my Grandma Crusoe's house. But I still feel it every once in a while. I feel the walls closing in. I feel it around, around certain places in my life where, where it's, it's closing in, the oxygen's getting less. And, and what I feel in those moments is I feel like the one thing that I want the most is the one thing that's going out first. And that's this pilot light that is God in my life. I find that, well, well the... the the in- incredible stress on the other thing, is pu- it pushes. And while I want to stand up, this part falls the first. You know, some of you are parents of little kids. And I don't know if there's anybody that's parents of little kids that feels like I'm a really good parent. I, I think we all kind of feel like we're not. And sometimes you just feel like it's pressing in. You can't get a breath. You can't figure out a, a space in your life. It's just one thing after another. It's one drama after another. And you're feeling like the walls can, can be closing in as parents. And, and, and here's what's hard about it. The one area that you want the most, I want to be a godly dad and have a great influence on my children. That's the one thing that's, 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 that's dying first. The oxygen's not there and the, and the pilot light's going out. And so it's just the opposite. You start looking at your parenting your kids and you're going, why in the world am I... Am I not standing up as just a godly dad? It's the pilot's going out. Even when they're getting older, and when they get older, you start feeling their stresses. You start feeling their loneliness. You start feeling their issues. And you want to be a godly dad in that place. But the first thing that's going out is that pilot light. You got a job that you've got that is just putting massive stress on you. You got pressure at work where you're just going, I can't let it go. And unfortunately, when those walls feel like they're pressing in, the first thing that goes is that pilot light. That deep down energy from God that, is, that, is, that, that God's presence that, that, that Paul is talking about in Philippians, that's the first thing that's going away. You, you look at that with, your, with, with debt. You know, some of you struggle with debt and you pull out that credit card and you have to pay for a, for a car, you know, your car breaks down. There's 700 bucks there and then the refrigerator goes out and there's a couple thousand dollars there. And the next thing you know, every time you pull out that card, the walls shrink in a little bit more. And you just go, man, I wanted to be a godly man when it came to my finances. I want to be a godly woman when it came to my finances and I can't get a grip on any of this stuff because... There's no more oxygen and the pilot light's going out. Man, that happens all over. Our circumstances can tend to do that. 
and the pilot light's going out. And then here's what happens. We, we start to learn how to live on 20%, and then it starts to be reflected in just everyday areas of our life. And you start to go, you start to go wow, those two things are actually associated with each other. I, I was thinking about this. I'm going, my experience would say when the, when the pilot light's going out, when the pressure's on, my experience would say I'll probably gain weight during this time. Because I don't have the willpower when the crap hits the fan to control that part of my life. My pilot light is barely flickering. My experience says I'll probably start losing sleep again. Because the things that crush me wake me up at 5 in the morning. Or at 4 in the morning. And I'm going to lose sleep again. And here comes another 3 hours a night of sleep. Because my pilot light's going out. My experience says I'll lose my Bible because that's the first thing I drop when despair hits. My pilot light barely flickers. My experience says God will feel non-existent, far off, and hard to find because I feel abandoned. And my pilot light is almost out. My experience says brace yourself for more because the bad things come in multiples of three or of two or one or four or 20. It just keeps on coming and brace yourself because it's going to keep coming. It just will. The pilot light's going out. My experience is I probably had all this coming to me because of the foolish decisions that I've made and that I keep making. And where's that pilot light at this point? And that's what we would call an almost burned out life. And darn it, don't we, don't we know that? Don't we know that feeling every once in a while? just feeling almost burned out. Or maybe some of us, we feel that we have burned out. That's living 20% or 10% or 8%. I know this, you guys. I know this, and I, I don't want to know it. But I know it. And I know that sometimes I, those, those things, they, they just feel like they are crushing me. And and. And here I am as a pastor, and I'm supposed to be, the light's supposed to be burning the brightest. And I'm going, holy smokes, there's just a flicker at times. Because the things in life, the things at work, I mean, the, the pressure around here just continues to grow. And you just go, where's the, where's the pilot light at? And so, so, so as I've been processing this myself, and this is very raw for me too, as I've been processing this, I started to, to, I listened to this one guy talk about it, talking about burnout, talking about lots of, and it was just, it was just happened to be, that was the sermon that I was listening to, a guy named Stephen Furtick. And, and as I'm listening to him, he brings up uh, an Old Testament passage that at first I'm just going, oh, this is dumb, and I don't want to listen to this, and I don't, my pilot light's almost out, I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have the mental capacity to, to make it through this, this sermon. And, and, but then as he kept talking about it, I started to unpack it more, and the next thing you know, I started resonating with me over time, and, and now I can't let it go. And, 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 and it's changing my perspective on, all, on the way that I'm looking at the things that crush me. And, it's, and, and, and today, I hope that it, I, you might be inspired a little bit by it as well, okay? So I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what I heard from this. Here's what's happened. He takes this passage, an Exodus passage, a time when Moses has taken the Israelites through the wilderness. He takes this passage and he says, now listen, here's what's happening. And, and what was happening at that time is Moses is bringing them through and they, they need to set up the tabernacle. 
And the tabernacle was what was called the place of promised presence. That's what they saw with the tabernacle. It was the place of promised presence. And so he starts describing the tabernacle, and I'm going, oh, who cares about the tabernacle right now? I got stuff I'm dealing with. But he's going, the tabernacle was the place of promised presence. You know, they, they knew that God was with them, and they wanted that to be, to, that to, they wanted to build something for that. And that was the place of promised presence. Now, he said there had to be light on that, on that tabernacle so that people could see it see where the place of promised presence was. And so he reads this random passage in Exodus chapter 27, a passage that I swear if you read it a thousand times, you would go over it every time and not think anything of it. Listen to what he says. He says, now order the Israelites to bring you pure, clear olive oil for light so that the lamps can be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, the area outside the curtain that veils the testimony, Aaron and his sons will keep this light burning from evening until morning before God. See? Now let's pray together and we'll move on. No, 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 no. You guys, come on. Becky's going to come up here, start playing, and I'm not even close to being done with it. Okay, so he, this is what's happening, you guys. The, the, the tabernacle is the place of promised presence. Light has to be, to be put there so you can see where God's at. When you fast forward to the New Testament... Jesus is saying, you guys know where the, ta- what's, where the tabernacle is today? You know where the temple is today? It's within each one of us. Deep within us, just like it says in, in that letter to the, to the Philippians. Deep within us, that's where God resides. His power resides deep within us. His presence resides deep within us. That place of promised presence is right here. And we need a light that illuminates that so that we can see that God is present And that light is a light that needs to shine through the night, through the hardest circumstances. That light needs to shine. And what's the key to making that light shine? And this is where I get all geeked out with this stuff, and it's weird. But he says, where is that light going to shine? How is that light going to shine? He says, you need pure, clear olive oil to light the lamps. And now I start learning about olive oil. And I started learning about how do you make olive oil? Now, some of you guys are going to get in your van afterwards. You're going to go, what in the world was he talking about olive oil for? Hey, this could be just for me. And so you guys, you guys are going to talk all about it. But for me, this was super powerful. Listen, when you make olive oil, here's what you do. You can do it two different ways. You can press it or you can crush it. You can put a bunch of olives into this big vat that will churn through and crush it all. And when you crush olives, what happens is it all goes through and all the different particles come. And so you get some oil, but you also get a lot of the olive in there. You get the branches in there. It's all a big mess of stuff. That's part of crushing it. The reason why people would do that is because it's faster to just crush olives. And so they would crush all these olives that way, and it's just, it's just faster. But you had to deal with the fact that it wasn't pure, and because of that, it wasn't the type of oil that you could put into a lamp and last all night long. What Moses needed was clear olive oil that was going to last through the night. And in order to get that clear, pure olive oil, it had to be pressed instead of crushed. And when you pressed an olive, you pressed it on all sides. It went down through a sieve and some oil dripped down. And that oil that would drip down after you're pressing it on all sides, that oil that would drip down would be pure. And that oil would then be used to light a light that could last through the night. I started thinking about this. 
I started going, wait a minute, there's a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that, that a lot of people know really well. That Paul starts writing in 2 Corinthians, he says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And I looked at that and I said, wait a minute. Did that just say hard pressed on every side, but not crushed? How could that be talking about anything but olives? (laughs) It's hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I know this is weird that this caught me so much, and maybe it doesn't with you, but hard-pressed but not crushed. How many times have I concluded crushed? How many times have I concluded I can't make it? How many times have I, inclu- have I, have I concluded impossibility? How many times have I concluded I'm so crushed that, of course, this light is burning out? But instead, instead he's going, we are hard-pressed but we're not crushed. We're hard pressed. And in the heart of our stuff, oil's dripping. And it's lighting a fire that's illuminating a promised presence. And because of that, the circumstance doesn't win. Because all the circumstance is, is it just keeps pressing. And oil keeps dripping, and the light keeps shining, and the promised presence keeps getting illuminated. I started, I started filtering all of the things I've got in my life. I started thinking of all the stuff that I tend to just, just get so frustrated with and stressed about, and, and it's so hard, and I get tired. And I started going, wait a minute. What if instead of just feeling crushed? What if instead you recognize that I'm being pressed? And so whatever situation comes up with my kids that you know as parents, you're just, you're living every situation with your kids. And with every situation that comes up with my kids, what if I'm going, I'm pressed in that. I'm not crushed because I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that I'm pressed. And with that will come oil that will light a fire that will, that will illuminate God's presence. I started thinking about the, the, you know, I started processing even stuff here at work and times where I come home and I'm going, I'm exhausted from the pressure. But what if I start thinking about it, not that I'm getting crushed by it, but I'm pressed by it. And how is God lighting the fire in me? That instead of it going out, it's just the opposite. It's lighting a fire in me of seeing that, man, he is right there the place of promised presence. Started thinking about a really good friend of mine that just went through hell in his, in his workplace and had a boss that was ridiculous. And he, he's facing stuff that was just so unfair. And you just go, crushed. But was he? Or was he pressed? Was he pressed? Is oil dripping? Is that light burning? 
as we recognize the promised presence of God. This last Friday, we had our college night in here. And man, I love our college students. I love them. And we had another night of just this really cool night of, of, of praising God together as a, with a bunch of college students. And one of the things I love, I love about college students, about on, how honest they are, about the struggles that they face in their life. And they don't wrap everything up in a perfect bow. And then they just go, man, this is where it's at. And, and each time we've done this, we've done it twice now. We had Sam share one, to, one, one a month ago, and we had Olivia share this last night through video of, of the stuff that that's going on in their life. And man, college students, man, they are in a pressure cooker. And you go, oh, wait till they get to real life. When I was doing those 20, 21 years of college ministry, that was one of, the, one of my most frustrating things that people would say is, wait till they get to real life. Are you kidding me? They're in the heart of real life. And the pressure cooker that they're going through of, of grades and schools and relationships and identity and all that stuff presses on in. And when they're pressing on in, they can feel crushed. Just as anybody else, they can feel crushed. But what if it's pressed instead? This morning I came here and, and one of the, Olivia's story that we shared last time we, on Friday night, I just thought, you know what, can we edit that down just a little bit and share some of Olivia's story? And, and our tech crew is awesome back there. And they killed it. They got Olivia's story and narrowed down a little bit more for us. And I wanted to show this to you guys because I want you to see, is she crushed? Or is she pressed? You see the light still burning? Or is the pilot light out? Listen to a little bit of Olivia's story. My name is Olivia. Um, <laughs> the last name too. Olivia Coyce, okay. and like a koi fish. Got and it. I'm a junior at CU. So you, um, you went off to the University of Arizona. Mm -hmm. Bear down. Tell us a little <laughs> bit more about how that went. Because I know that was not an easy, you yeah. went one year there or two? Um, well, it was actually like a semester. Okay. Um, and I just have never felt so lonely in my life before. And around this time of year, about Thanksgiving, I was thinking about how, like, was I gonna make this work for four years? Because I was so depressed, I was anxious, I was lonely, and I was just really unhappy. And that's when I told my parents, I was like, I really think I need to come home. And I don't think that I would have done that unless I had, I kind of had a mental breakdown, and I've never had one of those before. Mm. And I, remember going to my dorm and sitting in my bed and just feeling like this overwhelming sense of being numb, but at the same time feeling every single emotion mm -hmm. and just feeling completely like petrified and scared. And I remember like I was praying and I was like, God, you just have to help me out here. Like just calm my nerves because my nerves were so rattled up. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't eat. I couldn't focus mm -hmm. on all the uh, tests I had. And it was just such a crazy feeling because I've never had that happen before. And um, I just remember, like, did I you call your did you call your mom? Yeah, but it was it's hard because it's like you can say things like that, but I think from the exterior I, I'm able to put on a pretty good like, oh I'm fine, you know, put on mascara, do your hair. People don't think anything's wrong with you, but really internally, like you are struggling so much. And um, I think I Facetime my mom one time when I was really crying and I just couldn't talk. And that's when she knew that I wasn't joking around. So you decided to transfer back to, to, to or you decided to just leave? I decided, I had no idea. Yeah, I was too late to kind of enroll to CU. I also didn't want to go to CU at all because I was like, I'm from Boulder. I don't want to go to my high school pretty much all over again. Yeah. And um, I was like, well, I could do Front Range and I'll live at home because I also didn't have anywhere to live. So that's what I did. 
over these past two years that have been a lot of transition for me, there's been moments where I like pray and pray and pray and I'm just like, God, can you just help me figure out what it is that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And there's never an answer and it's really frustrating for me. But when I think about times that I've had to make like a legit decision, I feel calm. I'm not gonna lie, it's been hard. Yeah. I think CU's great school. I know a lot of people, it's like, oh my gosh, CU, it's my dream school. But I think growing up here, it's very different. And I don't love it. I don't love it at all. But I think that's because I haven't found my community yet. Hmm. And I think when you find your community, everything's different. Do you find the Lord is meeting you in, in this time? I do. I really do. And I don't think I would have said that like a year ago. But I feel like that's what I meant when I feel like a sense of calm and comfort and like, and all these things in our life where like, you know, I didn't go out or like partying and being in college and like social media, like all those things at the end of the day are not sustainable. But like what is sustainable is Jesus's grace and his comfort and his forgiveness and his love. Like Mm -hmm. that is what I find sustainable. And It's not necessarily me cracking open the Bible every night, but it's just like knowing that there's a God that loves me and that there's a Jesus that like, he hung out with a bunch of prostitutes and tax collectors and not the, you know, the squeaky clean ones, Hmm. the ones that like had a lot of bumps in the road. And I think that is what is really comforting for me. Hmm. Man, crushed or hard pressed? The light's still burning. There's a light out. And it's such a, to me, there's such a big difference in, in how we see this and how we can approach the circumstances in our life. I think this is why James, the brother of Jesus, can conclude, my brothers and sisters, you'll have many kinds of trouble. But this gives you reason to be happy. I've always, I've never liked that passage. Happy, come on. In the midst of the things that are pressing in against us, come on. You know that when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. When you let that patience work in you, the end result will be good. You'll be mature and complete. You'll be all that God wants you to be. The thing I love about Olivia's story, the thing I love about that Corinthians passage that we shared is that we will be hard-pressed. We will be perplexed. We will be persecuted. And we will be knocked down. We will be. But we don't have to be crushed We don't have to be in despair. We don't have to be abandoned or we don't have to be destroyed because the oil still drips and the light is still lit and the promised presence of God is still there. And it tells us that we can live in victory instead of defeat. It tells us that it's possible even for you in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your circumstances, it is possible for you to actually recharge. It is possible that you, would, that you could recharge to the point of going, I see God even clearer. Even in the midst of the mud that I'm going through, it's possible to see Him even clearer. What we think is impossible becomes possible because we are not crushed, we are pressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair because God's presence, His promised presence is right there. 
Do you know anybody that lives that way? Do you know anybody that, that is in the midst of hard circumstances, but for some reason they're able to, do, to live in a way that is so stinking inspiring? I got a friend, Janie, that, that she is, she is, she, she finds out she's got cancer. She finds out it's a stage that she that is not good. Is she crushed? Man, she is hard pressed on all sides. But the oil is dripping. The light is shining. The promised presence is there. And she stinking inspires me because of it. Tim Hansel wrote, is that writer that I've talked about a number of times in here that, that helped, helped when I was in the, the, those formative years of my faith and I'm listening and I'm reading Holy Sweat and I'm reading You Gotta Keep Dancing I'm reading Through the Wilderness of Loneliness and this is a guy that fell down a crevasse and crushed his spine and is, and is living in chronic pain for his entire, the rest of his, of his life and all he said is in the midst of life's pains you can choose joy and the reason why you can choose joy is because the oil keeps dripping and the light can keep shining and the promised presence can be is right there and when we see it we keep going do you believe that we can live crushed and in despair and at 10 5% or at 0 or we can go, no, no, no. The promised presence is there. My light is shining. The oil is dripping because I'm being pressed and I am not crushed. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but for me, that gives me a whole lot of encouragement. And it helps me to actually see the things in my life and go, I can find joy in the midst of it. Father, I pray. I pray that you'd help each one of us to, we're hard pressed and every one of us are. We're perplexed, every one of us are. We've been knocked down, every one of us has. God, help us to know that you are there. Help us to know that, that something good still comes. Help, help us to, to, to know that oil still drips. And the light can still be lit. And your promised presence can still be felt. God, I know that there are people that are hurting like crazy. And the walls have closed in as far as it possibly can. And it seems impossible. I pray that you help us to see in those moments that you are still fully at work and that we can choose joy in the midst of it. God, help us to see that. Help us to see that today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to...